Greetings and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. We are halfway through season two. This is episode number 75. We do 50 episodes a season, so there's plenty to go back and listen to, but we're kind of switching up the format this go around. And I had Berta, podcast manager extraordinaire, help ask me questions for a change. So I looked to the team and I said, hey, team members, like submit your questions and I'll do the best to answer them and created a really fun episode for you. That's more of a Q and a style. So I hope you enjoy. If you have your own question about branding, about marketing, about entrepreneurship, owning an agency, please submit it to podcast at mkwcreative.co. That's podcast at mkwcreative.co. And we'll answer it on the next one. Enjoy. Kiss my aesthetic. Branding, marketing, entrepreneurship. You're listening to the Kiss My Aesthetic Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Winterstein of MKW Creative Co., where we build brag-worthy brands through visual identity design and social media. You're in the right spot for branding, marketing, and entrepreneurship advice, so enjoy the episode. Greetings and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic Podcast. We're doing something different today because I have Berta on the podcast. Welcome back, Berta. Hi, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. This is an exciting episode because we are exactly through, halfway through season two, at episode number 75, which is exciting. You've edited so many by now. Yep. Um, this is the third time editing myself and it's always so fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, today we actually turned it over to the team, so Team MKW Creative Co., and had them send in their questions because we want to incorporate some more Ask Me Anything type episodes was the idea. Uh, So we created an email address for anyone who listens to the podcast to be able to write in with their questions, their business idea, anything they're looking for feedback on, and kind of do these episodes more regularly. So if you want to take advantage of that, the email is podcast at mkwcreative.co podcast at mkwcreative.co and Berta will be fielding all those questions. Are you excited to get some questions in through the email address? Yep. 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 You get to screen them before me. So even Berta is going to have a hand in in selecting which questions are going to come on the podcast. Um, But yeah, for today's episode, um, we're going to kind of flip it around and Berta is actually going to ask me the questions and I will answer them um, kind of on behalf of the team. Anything that people should know before we get started, Berta? Uh, no, it's just more that we want to give them the chance to participate more in the podcast. So any questions that you have, guys, within any of the topics that we cover, just feel free to send us an email. Perfect. Perfect. So I'll hand it over to you. Actually, let's also, if this is someone's first time listening to you, Berta, on the podcast, let's give you a little intro as well. Berta manages, produces, and uploads and runs the whole podcast. But what else do you do as as your job description? What kind of clients do you work for? Let's shout you out first. (laughs) Well, you've described pretty much everything. Not everything that I do, but as a podcast manager, yes. And then I also have another service that is for people that want to maybe launch their podcast and they want to do it themselves. So it's kind of like a DIY, but with strategy sessions. So that one is called the wire method. And then for someone that doesn't have a podcast yet, of course, I have a podcast launch uh, package. So if you are interested in having your own podcast, just hit me an email and I can help you out. And you know, of course, everything that I do for the Kismas Daily Podcast. And uh, Michelle only does the recording and reaching out for guests. And then I do the rest. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful. So definitely recommend to check her out, birdawired.com, birdawired on Instagram. And yeah, okay, let's jump into it then. Go for it. Okay, so first question. How do you market your services without turning your audience off by being salesy? Ooh, okay. I know this question came from Madison, which I think is great. I think there's a lot of... Um, Sales is tricky. And I think a lot of people struggle with sales because they feel like being salesy is a turnoff. So that's literally what this question is. From my case, I'm more of a, I like the kind of marketing where I don't want to tell you, you need me, but like, I want you to want to work with me. So instead of positioning it as like a buy this thing or get this amazing service or whatever, it's more of a, Hey, look at all this great stuff I can do. And if I can do it for this business, like I bet you I could do it for years too. And it would be awesome. So I think the salesy aspect, when you come from a place of 
saying, I really want to help you realize whatever this vision that you have for yourself. And here's proof of me doing that for someone else that does your sales for you. I think testimonials are a really big part of that. I think showing your process is a really big part of that. And so when you can illustrate a transformation, that's your sales. The sales um, from a social media standpoint, when you're on a sales call or a discovery call, that's really where you're trying to figure out, hey, is this person the right fit for me? And am I the right fit for them? And the best thing you can do if you're not a good fit is refer that person out to work with someone else. So for me, sales has been like something I've I've been able to sink my teeth into really naturally because I'm not ever trying to come off as like a, you need this kind of vibe. It's just very much like, this is what I have to offer. And if that's what you need, then I'm, I'm your girl. That's what I would say to that question. I think I totally agree with what you're saying. And people usually have, and I can include myself, trouble selling because you feel like you're forcing someone, but they need your services, right? So sometimes it's like, okay, I'm just helping you out. Like I had a discovery call the other day and she was like, I really want to launch a podcast, but I don't have the time and the need to look out for everything. So I want to hire you. And he's like, but that's what I'm here for, right? Exactly, exactly. And a really good sale is coming from someone who's already absorbed all of or gotten value from you in other ways. So it's very rare that someone comes to my contact form that hasn't watched my videos on TikTok, seen my Instagram listen to the podcast, join the Facebook group. So they've already gotten value. I've already kind of proved that I know what I'm talking about. So the sale isn't really a sale, not like cold calling people being like, your logo's ugly. Let me redo it. Like, that's not what's happening here. <laughs> I'm basically saying like, here's what I do and here's what I do really well. And if you need what I do, come and get it. And that's a way better sales strategy, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go for question number two. How long did it take you to start getting consistent and good client leads? How do I get consistent leads? Ooh, consistent leads. Okay. So I think this being my eighth year in business, every year it surprises me, even though I shouldn't be surprised. It's kind of like, and this is maybe like a TMI. It's kind of like when you're a female and it's your time of the month. And every time you're like, Oh man, I forgot I have to, I forgot about this. You know, like I forgot that this was a thing, like that there's a seasonality to it. Um, I think with leads, it's about, um, I had a time during 2020 where I could not keep up with the amount of leads that were coming in my inbox. And that was a lot to do with me sharing a lot of my work on social media. So showing people behind the scenes process, sharing my work on TikTok. I've talked about TikTok nonstop, but also realizing that there's a a seasonality to the year that's especially as a designer, as a creative, like there's not always going to be like a mad rush to your contact form. And that's kind of okay. And if there isn't, what can you do to start to attract or fix or fine tune or find those slow seasons and make different kinds of moves in your business where you're not so worried about the consistency of leads? I think the other thing that really changed my business from a, you know, getting new leads, getting new clients perspective is making sure that I scheduled people out in advance and built a pipeline. I think that there's a lot of a scarcity mindset when you're thinking that like the job that comes in your contact form, you have to do it tomorrow. Um, and it kind of puts you in this feast or famine kind of way versus we didn't take on any branding clients in April for MKW Creative Co. And I usually can take up on up to four a month. So we on purpose didn't take any in April because I knew we were going to be changing our whole scope of work from the social media side. I was offboarding Cody, onboarding a new business manager, had a ton of internal work to do and a lot of like kind of loose ends to finish up from projects that kind of took a little bit longer in Q1. So kind of predicting your calendar in that way, it's something you get better at over time, but it's also something that you forget that you've done before. So I think it's like more about realizing like, okay, if I don't have leads, what am I going to spend this time doing? And when I do have leads, how do I make sure that I've scheduled my calendar so that I've got guaranteed income, you know, six to eight weeks out in advance? That's definitely what I would recommend. And then again, to supplement the, I'm not getting leads, like figure out the other income streams in your business. Can you do affiliate income? Can you create passive income um, potential through digital products? I think there's a lot of different ways to not focus so heavy on like, I need leads, I need leads, I need leads. And maybe your messaging is has to be tweaked or your copywriting or your website. There's always things you can go back and audit as a business owner. But I think that consistently getting leads is something that's never really 
happened. It's not like I can say for sure I have 10 people asking me for branding services every month. Yeah, that's hard, right? I mean, because yeah. you're not doing all the time the same exact thing. And as well, the time of the year depends. <laughs> uh-huh. Time of the year depends. The way that like businesses change and grow, what's going on with politics. Like, And let's say you're getting 10 leads a month. Do you even have the infrastructure to support that? Probably not, right? So like kind of, it's a kind of be careful what you wish for thing. Like, yes, more business is more opportunity, but you also have to grow and evolve with the kind of clients that you work with as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally agree on that. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. So third question, do you ever get imposter syndrome? If so, how do you navigate it? Ooh, okay. Imposter syndrome is a big buzzword in the creative community. And I know even you and I talked about it this last two weeks ago when we were working on our next offering together of you creating podcasts and me helping with the marketing and the aesthetics. And imposter syndrome is one of those business symptoms that come from, again, like a scarcity mindset and not an abundance mindset. Imposter syndrome is the feeling of like, I'm not good enough to do or to charge or to make or to say a certain thing that I feel like either everyone else is doing or I'm supposed to be doing or is going to progress my career in some way. That's the imposter syndrome feeling. It happens a lot with social media. And my biggest suggestion when you're feeling imposter syndrome is to not follow the people that make you feel like you're not doing a good job at your job. That's the first easiest step for imposter syndrome because I suffer from it too. And I used to only on my social media feeds follow brand designers. And it was so exciting, but it was also so, it created a lot of negative self-talk for me of like, oh my gosh, my my work will never be that good. Or I'm so not good at creating illustrations, or I'm so not good at understanding like shading and value and gradients and these things, right? Right. It's really easy to like be on that negative self-talk kind of spiral, especially when you're seeing someone's highlight reel, especially when you're seeing, you know, people post about the best things that happened to them, about how they just won awards or they just bought a house or they just bought a, they got a, their business did this much business or they signed this huge client. Like it's very easy to be hard on yourself in those instances. So my recommendation when that's the case is to like not just either unfollow or just like mute love a mute function. Mute is great on social. And just like out of sight, out of mind, focus on you, focus on what you've got going on. And then to the positive side, go back and read all of your good reviews. Like go back to those clients that you love. If you have testimonials as part of your business process, which I would recommend to anyone, go back and read your like feel good folder and be like, you know what? No, I am good at my job. And I did help someone and I did do the right thing here. Um, Because that helps you kind of combat that feeling of like, Uh, I don't feel like my work is good enough or I'm doing enough or my business is big enough. All of those feelings. Yeah. I'm just going maybe back to where you were one year ago, two years ago. Well, depending when you've started, but sometimes we just get stuck in the, okay, what I'm doing now and I'm not getting the result that I want now. Mm -hmm. But if you look backwards, it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, I've grown. I've done this, this, this and that. I'm much better at this. And that then all of a sudden changes your mind. Exactly. And the imposter syndrome thing, like I had it this week, like we changed all of our social media contracts and some of the clients did not sign back on for services. And I panicked because I was like, oh my gosh, I've now changed my whole business structure and my whole team. And we have this new service offering that like, maybe people don't like it, or maybe they don't want it. And the more that I let that creep in is the more harm I'm doing to myself moving forward. Because I believe that short form video marketing is our sweet spot. I believe our team is insanely talented. And if I'm leading this whole train and I'm the conductor and all you guys are cars on the tracks and I'm like, yeah, this is going to be great. If I start showing cracks and showing like, "Uh, I'm unsure, like I can't expect the people who are rallying behind me and helping me with all of this stuff to be 100% on board if I don't believe it. So that's the other thing is like, especially when you're running a team or you're running an agency, it's about having like a conviction of that doesn't mean I'm not going to fuck up. That doesn't mean I'm not going to make mistakes, but we're going to really try this and we're really going to try and see if this works. And I really believe that it will because all the data is telling us that it will. So we just kind of have to write it out. But I think you're so right. We get really caught up in like, I want the result of this right now. And don't often think about the long game. 
or how far we've come. And both of those are so important. Yeah. One of my clients always says, when they ask her, what about when you fail? What do you, mm -hmm. what do you think? And she's like, I don't think I ever fail because for me, this is an experiment. So yes. I make an experiment. I see how it works. If it doesn't work the way I thought it would work, I pivot, I change, so then I change my offering. But then how do you know it's going to work if you don't experiment? So yes, I'm constantly changing. And that's what I love, like having new ideas and then coming up with new strategies and then pivot. We also have to remember that your performance as a business owner is not tied to your self-worth. And I say this almost as a reminder to myself because I take so much pride in what I do. And I think you do as well, Berta, where if we're having a bad work week, it totally bleeds into personal life where you're like, dang it, I didn't do this well, or this client's unhappy, or this project didn't go the way I wanted. And now I'm feeling bad about myself. And we have to remember that like, Your business is its own separate thing from you, the person. And an imposter syndrome feeling is a very personal feeling that's not at all the reflection of your business. So I think the more you can separate the two things, it's like easier said than done. But recognizing that like your business performance is not your personal performance and your personal performance is not your business performance, that can help alleviate a lot of those feelings of feeling less than or feeling down on yourself or having negative self-talk with imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it happens to everyone. I think everyone feels yeah. that feeling at some point. Yeah, I think it doesn't matter where you are in your business. Like you're just starting out or you've been like 14 years. At some point you'll have it because it's like because you're doing new things and you're getting out of your comfort zone, right? Totally, totally. So let's go for question number four. How did you jungle between so many clients and projects at the same time? Focus for someone that's starting and doesn't have the awesome team that you have. Okay. Yes. I love that the team members shouted out how awesome they are. Great. Way to go, guys. Good job. Because you guys are <laughs> awesome. And I'm obsessed with all of you. I like to run my business with a lot of projects. That makes me feel fired up and it makes me feel excited. And I love having a lot of balls in the air. That is not for everyone. So I'm not going to expect that everyone has the capability to do that whatsoever. That's just the way that my brain functions. But My brain can only function that way if I'm extremely organized. So having project folders, having a process, like I said at the beginning of the episode, planning out my calendar, having specific tasks due on certain days really, really helps. And one of the best things I ever did at the beginning of my business was invest in a project management tool. So we run everything through Basecamp, all of our team folders, our HQ folder, all of our client folders, and that allows me to see everything that's going on at like a bird's eye view. And that's super, super important. Um, before I had Basecamp and I was just doing things through email, stuff would get lost. Things would get sent in attachments. You couldn't really follow the thread. And Basecamp gives us a really, really nice place to stay organized so that all the projects that we have don't get like all their wires crossed or things like fall through the cracks. Um, so organization is basically the only way that I can run so many things at once, but also I now have a better idea of how much I can actually take on. So since bringing on a team that helps me map out like, okay, if I have a team and I'm paying my team X, like I need to bring on this many projects to be able to cover the team and our operating expenses and run a profitable business. So it's kind of this equation. And then that helps me create goals. So it's like, okay, if we have this big, huge goal by the end of the year, how many projects do I need to take on to hit that goal? Okay. If it's that many projects, how many do I need to take on a month? Which means how many sales calls do I have to land? Which means how many clients should I be reaching out to? Or how many services should we offer? It's all kind of an equation once you have that bigger number in mind. But There's also something, there's this pivot that I think we made of when I only offered branding, I was constantly having to recruit new clients and now we have more retainer style services. So it's not about the one-time value of the client. It's the lifetime value of that client. And you understand you manage podcasts, right? Podcasts yeah. could go on for forever. <laughs> like there's no <laughs> limit to how much you could podcast. You could podcast every day if you wanted. So it's more about establishing from, from our agency side now, it's about establishing really strong relationships with the type of brands that we work well with to help them be successful. And that could look like an ongoing relationship with like dental hygiene nation, same skin, hotel lobby candle, etc. So lots of projects, but that's the way I like to work. And couldn't do it without all of your guys' hard work and couldn't do it without the tools that we use. That would be my advice. 
What's your main source of inspiration? Ooh, Berta knows this. What do you think I'm going to say, Berta? We are going to say going to restaurants, food and drinks. Uh-huh. <laughs> going to museums uh-huh. and traveling. Absolutely. Berta knows. This is how Berta and I know each other. Uh, traveling, <laughs> travel plays such a huge role in my business. And I think because it lets you be in a mind space where you're curious about things. Right? Like when we're in our, when yeah. we're home and we're in our routine and we do the same thing with the same people every week, we have a tendency to not be curious to try new things. Um, and this is my year of trying new things. Like I'm picking up golf. I have this pottery class that I've got my eyes on. I am very interested in figuring out like what are different ways where I don't have to go on some crazy extravagant international trip to feel inspired, but I could go outside and do anything I want with my day because I work for myself and I make my own schedule. So finding what that is for you, whether that's music or food or or social activities, or comedy, or whatever that thing that gets you kind of inspired and fired up and like feeling like you have a million ideas, even if none of those ideas like come to fruition, figuring out what that is, and then scheduling that into your, your lifestyle is very important. And it doesn't need to be like bougie fabulous, it could be just listening to a great podcast and taking your dog on a walk. I know you love podcasts for inspiration, Berta. Yeah. Of course. (laughs) Exactly. So sometimes it's not even a, it doesn't even have to be a thing or a place. Like I consider this, this podcast, a place for me to find inspiration. I get to talk to guests that maybe they don't use my services and I don't use theirs, but I find them interesting. And they, I get to talk to them for an hour. It's like the greatest networking hack ever because I get to say like, Hey, can I pick your brain in a way that's mutually beneficial to you? Like that is awesome. So even if you have an area you're interested in, podcasting would be a great way to kind of get curious about different ways to do things, don't you think? Yeah, totally. I learn a lot just by editing my clients' podcasts because I I listen to so many different people in so many different industries that is like, wow, sometimes I just want to do all of the things. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think it's important to to expose yourself to stuff that's that's not in your industry per se. So like, I really like listening to podcasts about like, I love celebrity pop culture. That's fun to me. Like that's my brain candy. I can listen to it all day long. So I listen to stuff that maybe isn't graphic design related or is about psychology, or I listen to audiobooks that have nothing to do with my, my work, but you never know what little like lesson or nugget you're going to pick up that will then spark an idea down the road. That'll be like, oh, I remember I heard this one thing in this podcast about this theory in psychology. And now that's going to be really useful for this project I'm working on. But you may not know when you listen to it or when you learn it or when you observe it that it's going to be useful. Yeah. But I think it's really important to listen to all the things that just your things about your industry. Totally. I think first, because otherwise you're going to get like, tired mm-hmm. of just doing and listening to the same thing but secondly just because what you said right you learn about different things that then you can apply to your life to your work to anything and what you're interested in then becomes your unique angle for how you do your job well so my background in art history for example comes into play with brand design all the time or my experience traveling to a place. Now I have a common thread with, as you guys will hear with the interview with Katie Langhammer coming up, the NFT artist, we both studied abroad in the same place at the same time. Like that's so cool that we have this common thread that again, like doesn't need to materialize into a business move, but now we have this kind of connection based on the things that we were both interested in. And even on the podcast episode with her, I told her, First, we were like, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. We were both studying abroad in Rome at the same time, going to the same school. And I was like, is it that crazy though? Because maybe we both have similar likes. So maybe we both like Rome for the same reason. And maybe we're both attracted to like a crazy city with lots of history for the same reason. So maybe it's not that crazy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's such a cool coincidence. And you mm-hmm. found out, you told me 10 years ago, it was 10 years ago, right? Uh-huh. Ten, nine, 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Wow. That's impressive. Okay, let's go for question number six. Uh, Working from home is a challenge. How do you avoid day-to-day distractions? Yes. Okay. So I think especially when you are creative and you're a creative person with a creative business, rigidity, like sticking to a calendar schedule does not work 
great for me. I've learned. I am way more go with the flow. I like to have pockets of time to do things. And I really, really benefit in a work from home situation as soon as I started batching my week. So Mondays, I do not take client calls, period. No way. Not happening. Tuesdays and Thursdays are for calls. Yep. And then... Yeah, me too. uh, Exactly. No, it's so useful. And then Wednesdays are my heavy lifting design days. So Yesterday, for example, because recording this on a Thursday, usually I'll record a podcast on Friday, but we make an exception when you live in Spain. Um, so we can get the time zones right, you know, and you don't have to record like late on a Friday afternoon. But yesterday I was working on a logo and someone asked me this question, actually, like, how do you set up for your logo designs? Like, how are you productive and work from home? And I think it's so much your environment. It's about setting up the way that you like to work. So I like to work with music on and a candle and all the beverages, like water, coffee, (laughs) smoothie, kombucha, tea. Like I have to have all the cups. And I like to work with um, my dog flopping around in the background. So setting up your environment in a way that you feel you're productive and that you enjoy, it kind of becomes a ritual that gets you in the mind space to do a good job. So doing all those things, like setting it up the way that I want it puts tricks my brain to say like, okay, now you're going to sit down and focus. Um, And that is like a three to five hour effort. That is my big, I say like heavy lifting design day. I got to come up with some good ideas during that session. And then for the rest of the week, because I don't, I'm not expecting my brain to do that Monday through Friday. It's only on Wednesdays that I have to do that. The rest of the week, I don't stress myself out about it. Because I know that on Wednesday, I have from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. to work on this. I don't have to try to force myself to be creative during that time. And I can focus on other things or I can take a break or go get a massage or walk on the beach or whatever. So scheduling your week in the way that's productive allows you to then look forward to those things. So I love my Tuesday call call days because I get to touch base with a lot of clients. And I like Fridays because I just get to do the podcast and just kind of kick back and not try to be crazy hyperproductive on a Friday. So batching your week, I think, really helps with the work from home productivity. What do you think? And you have an episode on that. Yes. I'll add it into the show notes. I don't remember the number at the moment, but you'll have it in the show notes because that's a really good one. Totally. I think the other luxury of working from home and especially working for yourself is working when you feel creative. If you're not feeling it, freaking take a break, like take a walk, watch show something, or I'll trick myself and say, okay, I'm going to work on this specific task as I listen to this hour long podcast episode. And then once that podcast episode's over, I got to move on to something else. So kind of like barter with yourself. I know that sounds weird being like, okay, if I can get this done, I'll give myself 10 minutes of uninterrupted time on TikTok. Like you can kind of trick yourself to say like, I'm going to motivate myself to get this task done. And then I'm going to reward myself with something that I want to do. That helps too. Do you do those kind of things or is that just me? Um, Maybe not exactly, but sometimes I, I know in the mornings, like I take a bit of time to really wake up. Mm-hmm. So I won't ask myself to do the hardest tasks for my brain because I know it's going to take me double the time and I'm not going to be feeling productive. So I just maybe put the task as the second task of the day. So the first hour is like more slowly, or maybe I'm just editing that that's my favorite task and it doesn't take much of my brain. Brain power. Mm -hmm. But for example, I won't do the show notes at 9 a.m. Because (laughs) I need to be more awake. Yes, exactly. I think it's just about to know a bit yourself and like, okay, if you're just starting out, maybe it's a bit harder, but just see how you go and like in the morning, afternoon, at night. I credit Wi-Fi Tribe for a lot of that. I think back to like the trips that we did with Wi-Fi Tribe and that was the first time I ever had coworkers. And so I saw people working full, you know, eight hour days where they'd wake up at 4.30 in the morning in Costa Rica to work on a, on a, a European time zone and they'd work and then they'd say, okay, now it's time to have fun. And I was very much the opposite. I was like, I'm going to work. If we book an ATV tour this afternoon, then I'm going to get as much work as I can do before then because I know I'm going to have fun on that thing. So same thing. It was like kind of tricking myself, dangling the carrot. Instead of like, I'm going to rigidly work from nine to five, it's I'm going to work so that I can go do the thing that I want to do. So perfect example. On Friday, my friends and I are driving up to LA to go see Amy Schumer. Because I know I'm going to be doing that on Friday, today and yesterday, I'm like, pedal to the metal. Let's get as much work done as possible so that when I'm doing that thing, I'm not thinking about how I should be working. Because I think that that also can 
just be dangerous. And then you're like, I should be doing something else. And then you don't get to enjoy the thing that you work so hard to be able to do, right? I think it depends as well if you do things a bit in advance or you're just waiting until the last minute True. to have your to-do list done. Because if you're like now, we are doing, right? You, know, you have like so many episodes already recorded and then I'm batching editing. So then if something happens and we have like this trip or this birthday coming up, it's like, okay, I'll just do this next week and it's okay. Mm-hmm. But if yeah. you're just last minute, maybe that's another thing. Right. No, working ahead, there will always be a to-do list. And I think there's some meme or something that I saw that says, being an adult is having a to-do list that never gets finished because there's always oh. <laughs> a million things to do. There's always a million things to do, a million ideas to explore. And I joke with my family or my sister and like, I need two months off to just research this entire NFT idea. And I keep talking about it on the podcast and I've made like literally zero moves towards doing anything in that space other than just keep talking about it, which also helps. But man, it's like, Being an adult, especially being a business owner, there's always a million things you could be doing better, you could be doing differently, that you could be doing for your clients. Like the to-do list is forever long. And once you kind of come to peace with that, you realize like I can only be as productive as I can be and I still have to live a life and go to sleep and do my workouts and cook myself meals, then then you're in a better place. Yeah, and certain things are not urgent, right? Maybe you can do them a month later and and that's okay so mm-hmm. and I think it would be maybe boring if we if our to-do list ends right because true what are we going to do so <laughs> true true I have so many lists we even have a list for Miranda that says non-time sensitive tasks to do someday <laughs> it's like it's like these are things that like would be nice to have but they're really not urgent so if you find yourself with a pocket of time and you want to knock one out like go for it Um, And those kind of lists are helpful too. Okay, question number seven. For those who need to self-brand before investing in branding, how do you suggest they set themselves up for success when they are ready to invest in branding? Okay, self-branding before you invest in branding. So I actually really recommend that new, 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 new business owners don't invest a ton of money in branding. And this is because One, you don't really know what you have to offer yet. You don't really know who you work best with yet. You don't have your processes nailed down, probably your services nailed down, Um, but you know you've got some kind of something that people want. The best thing you can do in those early stages is take note of what people want to come to you for and also ask them for testimonials and kind of figure out in like a word cloud kind of way What do people consistently say that I do really well? So between those two things, you can kind of start to get at why people are coming to you. And then really when you are a solopreneur and you're the only person running your brand or your your small business, lean into what makes you unique. So when we're rebranding, we're talking about unique sales proposition or your USP. This is the thing that your business does better than anything else. But in those early stages, most of your clientele will either be friends, family, friends of friends, or people that you knew through some other contact. So the more you can authentically be yourself and show up the way that you like to show up, that's going to help kind of chart the path for your brand. Usually that's pretty consistent with what we end up doing for branding anyway, because when you are your brand, your brand is an extension of yourself um, or a reflection, not even an extension, a reflection of your values. Um, So when you're branding at the beginning, If you love the color red, like lean into the color red. And even if that doesn't feel like, oh, maybe my audience doesn't like red, whatever. If your audience likes you, by extension of you, they're going to like red. So don't be afraid to lean into what your personal aesthetic is, your personal style as you're just starting out. And then when you're ready to rebrand, we'll basically measure that against the actual market research. So we'll say like, okay, well, this is what you have so far. What's working for you? What's not working for you? Oh, okay. You found out that like red really works for your audience and people always associate you with the color red. Let's use that. But maybe let's also add in some other layers that help you even better attract your ideal client. Or let's add in the logo, you know, some part of your signature or something that's significant to you that maybe not everybody would know, but people who've been with you since day one would know right? So a few examples of this that I just finished, Gray Ruby Diaries, aka With the Blinks. So I just interviewed Diana on the podcast 
And she was telling me that her first logo was so in her first branding, she DIY'd or she paid someone like very cheap to do it. And it's beautiful, but it didn't feel like her. It didn't feel like the most accurate representation of her content, her brand, her family, the kind of stuff that they create. So in the rebrand, we're like, okay, well, then what is the stuff that you create? Why do people follow you? Why are brands wanting to partner with you? What are those qualities that you bring that you think you do better than than your other competitors in the market? Or what's the thing that you think people tell other people to come to you for and kind of reverse engineer it. And then we can create a brand based on those values, but you can't have, you can't always start with those values because you don't know because you haven't started your business yet. Um, so I think a DIY option or, or, you know, not overly complicating things, picking a font, picking some colors that you personally like is usually a good way to start until you're at the phase where you're like, okay, this isn't cutting it anymore. And I can't exactly put my finger on it, but I need to look more legit. And I want to reach that next level. That's when you rebrand. But you had that experience. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Exactly. That at first you're like, okay, I need to have something, right? You need to Mm -hmm. pick some kind of colors. But of course, if I did my branding and my logo and everything, just when I started, it would have been totally different a year after that. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad I didn't maybe invest in that because I wasn't sure, not of anything, but of course my business was evolving like month per month and I was growing with it. And until I had everything clear, it would have been kind of like a waste of money because I I would have to change that anyway. Totally. So I I was happy I didn't do it at the beginning. But I think for when you're just starting out your business, you get stressed out like, I need my logo, my branding, my website, and like all the things mm-hmm. and my copy and everything. But it's true that you don't, or you just need a bit of it just to get to get started. And then once you're more settled right. and you know right. more what you're doing and where you want to go, then it's time for rebranding or branding. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think as a designer, like again, it designers were told that like everyone needs the most amazing original branding all the time. That's not the case. Like I had a friend of mine from college come to me saying he wanted to start a travel blog and he goes, I'm, I'm ready to invest money, but where should I invest first? I only have X amount of dollars. And I said, don't spend that on branding, like spend it on a really great website because without a website, you cannot be a travel blogger. You need to have a really great site with good search functions and good indexing, and it needs to be really user-friendly. So why don't we pop on a consulting call together and we'll at least develop your mood board so that you can give that to the website designer and say, these are the colors, this is the photography style, this is kind of the aesthetic that I'm going for, and let's pick a font that you really like. But don't put the money into branding first because you need content. You need you need a reason for someone to want to be invested in your brand. And then also by the time you rebrand, now you've got a whole audience of people that are cheering you on. That'll be like, yeah, like, wow, you're, you're doing it. Like, and this totally makes sense for who you are and what you do. And I think that that worked really well for him. And then I told him, I said, but I'm happy to help you do that. Like we can totally, we ended up doing a consulting call together. We made the mood board, we picked a font. And then I sent him to Georgia. He worked in Georgia. Great. And I told him, I was like, yeah, because by the time you're ready to rebrand, you can, you know, call me up and and we'll create your rebrand together. <laughs> and he goes, oh, absolutely. Like, absolutely. So I think, I mean, I could have approached that call being like, yes, you absolutely 100,000% need branding before you do anything. That's just not the truth. So mm-hmm. giving him like the out and say, listen, this probably isn't the best investment of your money at this time because you've never even blogged before. You don't even know if you like it. Um to kind of give him permission to say like, hey, invest in a way that makes sense actually strengthened our working relationship because I gave him good advice that he was able to see results from. And then that ensured that like when he is ready to take the next step, he'll come back to me and, and we can work together. So that's a bit, bit of advice too, right? It's not always perfect for everybody right from the get-go. So, you know, but then flip side, Hotel Lobby Candle, she came to me with the idea. She's like, I want to start this candle company and I need it to look amazing um, because that's why people are going to buy it is because of the way that it looks. And I said, yeah, like give it to me. Right. And so I totally like by the day she told me about it to presenting the brand concept was like four days later. Like I had the whole idea already in my head. I was like, Oh, yep. I know what this looks like. This is what but we're she had do. everything clear in her head as well. She knew the product. She knew maybe the audience. She knew like totally so many things that it was like, yep, I'm ready for branding because I'm ready to launch my product. Exactly. And I need branding. 
Exactly. And it's an idea she'd been sitting on for four years. Four years she's had this idea. And then when the pandemic happened and everything and we started working together, she's like, you know what? I think you would knock this out of the park. And I said, yeah, give it to me. Like, I want to do it. Give it to me. But like you're saying, like she had a really good understanding of her audience, really good understanding of the type of product she wanted to create. And she needed kind of the visuals to represent all those things. And in that case, she really did need branding in order to launch. But since then, Although the logo has stayed the same and colors have stayed the same, we've changed the packaging nine times. We've changed the label size. We've changed the text on the labels. We've changed up the social. We've done new campaigns. We've hired influencers. We've hired um, photographers, videographers. Like there's been so much other work in the brand, but the logo and stuff has remained. So that's supposed to change and evolve over time anyway. But yeah, I think you're right. Unless you really have those answers nailed down, you're probably not in a good position to invest in branding. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it's more for service providers than yeah. product. Exactly. And the thing is, like, I started my business with literally an Instagram account. That's it. An Instagram account and, like, the letter M in a circle that I made in one of my projects in, in college. And I was like, oh, that's my logo. And I'm like, ta-da, I'm a graphic designer. And I only had an Instagram account and a, a Gmail address. That's it. So, We don't need to overcomplicate it, especially when you're just starting, because you're going to learn so much in those first like one to three years of business that then will position you in a place to do really great branding. Yeah. Okay. Beyond juggling the clients and projects, how do you have time to keep up with the back end of your business before you had a team? Ooh, Um, not not well. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I didn't do a good job. Like, uh... I think the first person that came on that really transformed the way that the business works was an online business manager with Cody and using Dubsado. So prior to using Dubsado, if you're not familiar, Dubsado is an invoicing and customer relationship management tool. This is how we send our proposals. This is how we collect payment. This is how we get contracts signed, et cetera. Before that, I was responsible for doing all those things and I could do it. I just didn't like doing it. Like I knew how to send a proposal and the collect on invoices, but it got to the point where my time, it was eating up just enough of my time to be annoying where I I felt like, man, I wish I had had this time back to just do design stuff. Um, So I think when you're at that, that turning point of saying like, I think I'm at the point where it's scary to invest in someone else to do this for me. But if I did, I would get my time back to do the things that I'm better at and I'd rather hire a professional. That was really this, the turning point. And so I hired Cody originally to build Dubsado, which I would definitely recommend if you're not like a Dubsado person. Pay someone to set it up the right way, for sure. Worth the investment. And then I paid her on a monthly retainer to manage it to where I would have a discovery call and I could just shoot her a message and be like, hey, I just spoke to so-and-so. Please send them a proposal for a Brandini starting June 1 and attach these three work samples. And she would have it sent out literally within two hours. And like, that's crazy expectation. And she was crazy good at her job. But outsourcing that part was such so nice for me because then I also didn't have to be like the bad cop, like making sure clients had submitted their payments on time like making sure that things in the back end of the business were going well, because now I had a point person who was also keeping eyeballs on that and was also saying, you know, so-and-so hasn't signed their contract and -and so-and-so hasn't paid their last payment of their invoice. Do you want me to follow up? And I'd say yes. And to take myself out of that really, really, really helped. But before that, like that's time that I would spend doing all of that on my own um, and doing it in like a very piecemeal, not functional way of exporting the contract as a PDF document and sending it as an attachment and then sending a link to an invoice. It just wasn't easy for the client. So I didn't spend a lot of time really creating those client experience systems, which I, once I outsourced them, I think our business did did way better. So that's one thing. Uh, Before I had a whole team to help run, run the systems and stuff, I was kind of running around like crazy working on so many projects. And I think having a team now gives us more structure, right? So it's kind of a, again, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. It depends on how your brain works of like having a lot of projects or not having a lot of projects. Um, But I also am a freak for base camp and organization. So I think that that works to our advantage. I think that answers the question. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Last one here. It's 2022. And by some strange phenomenon, you are face-to-face with Michelle from 2015. 
Okay. 2015 Michelle is standing in your living room, admiring your space and snuggling Wilson. Knowing what you were struggling with in those early years, what do you say to 2015 Michelle? Ooh, okay. This is a good one to end on. Okay, let's go back to 2015. Graduated college. I think this was Madison as well. Is it? I think I, it was Alex. I think so. I think oh, Alex sent oh. this one. She's very okay. nostalgic. Like Alex has a very sweet, nostalgic, like reflective side to her, which she's so fascinating to talk to you about that because she's really, really reflective in this way. So I, I believe this is Alex's question. <laughs> 2015, I graduated college. I'd already been running my business for one year and I was just doing graphic design. Um, and when I graduated, I started working for a health startup company and I was working for them like 30 hours a week. I was also working white label for an agency local in San Diego. And 2015 was, oh gosh, no, 2015, I graduated. I hadn't even started working with them yet. I was living at home. I was 22 living at home with my two friends from college who also moved into my parents' house with me because my younger sisters were away and they were trying to find jobs for the summer. And they, yeah, they were living with me in my parents' house. And we were just trying to figure out like, where we were going to live and where we were going to rent. And I remember driving out to the coast to where I live now being like, man, I would love to live here someday. Like I'd love to, I literally wrote in my journal, like live West of the five freeway because the five freeway runs all the way up the coast of California. It's like, I want to live West of it, like even closer to the ocean than the five. (laughs) And that was such a big goal for so long. And now I'm doing it. So that's kind of nice. That's cool. Um, From a business side, I think, I think those early years of my business, it was just a, I'm doing graphic design for everyone and anybody that'll pay me. And now I think I see myself as being more of like creative director, strategist. And I think I would have told my younger self, like working, there's, there's a lot of to be proud of and working very hard, but don't work so hard that you're not building a bigger vision for yourself. Like working hard, isn't the end all be all like, let's work smarter. Like, yes, you work really hard and you work your ass off and you network and you talk to all these people and, and you're doing a good job of that. But like, let's also like build the kind of lifestyle you want for yourself. Let's also build the kind of connections that you want and build the kind of long-term plan that you want instead of saying, I work really hard and I make this much money and this is me doing the best that I can. Um, I was the only one of my friends that was self-employed. So that was interesting at the time. My sister wasn't didn't hadn't even started her own business. So I didn't really have a network of people that were like me in 2015, but I was starting to get into it with Instagram. I was starting to get to know people, internet friends that had similar businesses and, and could refer me business and, and we could support each other. So it's crazy how much all of that is the same, but also a lot of it has changed. And I think that there's been a lot of growth in the company and I forget to look back and like appreciate how far we've come in that time. I mean, even since having you, Berta, with the podcast, our businesses look totally different. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember I was, I think, the only one in your team at that uh-huh. time. Uh-huh. And at some point, it was like, we are 11. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Berta was one of the first. And Berta, like, credit to you, too, because this podcast wouldn't exist without you pitching me the idea. Because you came on as a virtual assistant to start. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then helped a little bit with Pinterest. And then you said, you know what? I'm really going to get into podcast management and you should turn your show, your interview show into a podcast. And if not for you, this whole thing would not exist. Yay. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And now it's like, it really is the highlight of my week. Like really like talking to people and getting to know them and getting to share, you know, my thoughts, my feelings. It's going to be such a cool time capsule. And that's really why I want to do these Ask Me Anything episodes too. It's going to be a cool time capsule to come back to and be like, remember when we were struggling with this a year ago, two years ago, three years ago? Like, look at where we are now. Like, I listened to some of those episodes at the end of season one where I'm like, man, I really was struggling. And like, look at us now, (laughs) you know? And not struggling with the podcast, but struggling with like feeling burnout, feeling overwhelmed, feeling like the episode with Catherine LeMandry is the one that comes to mind where I'm like, man, I'm tired. <laughs> like, I think we spent the whole episode talking about that. But it's cool. It's cool to go back on them. Are there any episodes that you can think of that really stood out to you that you got to edit or things that you learned? Oh, we covered this one in the last one of season one. Mm-hmm. But, ooh, I think season two is really cool. I mean, yeah. it's not that season one wasn't. It's just that I feel, as you said, it's more organized and more 
uh, focus-driven. So I think all the guests bring so much value. And I always learn, even though I'm not a graphic designer, but this is not just for graphic designers. And I always learn things Mm business-wise. But I don't know. I can think of a specific episode at the moment. That's okay. That's totally fine. Do you have one favorite from season two? Um, well, we're only halfway through it technically, but I'm, I'm loving it just to, like I said, to talk to people that are doing things different from me, um, or doing, having businesses different from me. Like I think the episode with Michelle from Holisticism where she says, yeah, we rebrand our company every month. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, it made me really think about that differently. Like, okay, what does it mean to have a brand and what does it mean to evolve your aesthetics? Like, that was super interesting. I think the conversation with Amanda in Dallas of Dallas Girl Gang is really interesting this season. That sticks out to me. Um, yeah, there's there's a few a few good ones in there, and it's exciting, of course, to like be able to create content and share the content, and to also see the downloads go up. So to see more people listen to them. Yep, yep, yep. Definitely. We are over. Well, I haven't checked today, but we hit the twenty k. Twenty thousand was it mm-hmm. um, a month ago? Mm-hmm. So Wilson hit the 25K. That's mm-hmm. exciting. We hit the 25K soon. And then, yeah, do you want to remind people like how they can help this podcast do better? Well, they can help us by writing and reviewing on Apple Podcasts. You can write as well on Spotify. And if you are loving the content and or you've learned something at any point and you want us just to buy us a coffee, you mm-hmm. can find the link in the show notes. Uh, buy me a coffee. Well, you have the link. I don't exactly know. Mm-hmm. This slash, I think, buy me a coffee slash KMA, maybe. And you can buy us a coffee there. And, or just send us a DM saying how much you love it. And that's always uh, nice to hear. Mm-hmm. And don't forget to send in your questions. And sharing your your favorite episode on on stories as well. And yes. Michelle. Yes. And Berta. Tag Berta too. Let's tag both. Tag me, <laughs> tag Berta if you found an episode or a clip or something you want to share. Um, and then send in your questions, podcast at mkwcreative.co. Um, yeah. And that will be our Ask Me Anythings. And if we get enough questions, we'll do these more regularly. Yep. So yeah. there are so many ways that you can put a smile on our faces, actually. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you all the way from Spain. Thanks for um, coming on and asking me those questions. Yeah, no, you're very welcome. I was uh, happy that we were doing this for the first time and let's see how the audience likes it. (laughs) Totally, totally. Thanks, Berta. Catch you later. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again for joining us for the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle, of course, and it would mean the world to me if you would go ahead and leave us a review and follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts, really. The Kiss My Aesthetic Facebook group is also going to be a killer resource for you to ask questions, get feedback on anything branding, marketing, or entrepreneurship related. And to catch today's show notes or anything that we talked about in this episode, make sure you go to mkwcreative.co slash kmapod. We'll catch you next time.